Thank you for listening to Life Church Lithia. At Life Church, you belong before you believe. Tune in today for a life-changing message from our lead pastor, Gio Munoz. How many of you are ready to receive? Listen, why don't you take your hand and put it over your heart and say, Lord, whatever you want to do in my heart, do it. Do it. Ah, uh, yes. Listen, I had a dream last night. I had this dream twice already. And, um, and it, it's interesting, right? In the dream, um, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing this field, and in the field, there's this humongous cage. And in the cage, um, there's, there's like beautiful, beautiful birds. And, and I, I, I'm, I'm happy because I see the birds, but I'm a little confused because I know that the cage is not their natural habitat. It's as if, like, they've become content in the cage, but, but you know that there's more out there for them, right? And so then I see this person walk up, and the person that walks up, it represents Jesus. To me, it is Jesus. If you think it's weird to see Jesus, then I don't know how to help you because <laughs> you should be able to see him because he's Lord, and he's alive, and he walks among us. And so he walks up to the cage, and he opens the cage, and when he, it's a huge cage, man, and as the cage opens... All these birds fly out, all different kinds of birds, because the birds signify people, right? And everybody's different. I'm not the same as you. You're not the same as me. We're all different, and that's great. And so the birds fly out of the cage, and as they fly out of the cage, I have to share this because I feel it's significant. Some of the birds in the cage would not leave. Like the cage door was open. They had received freedom. Jesus had given them the ability to fly, yet some of them chose to remain in the cage. It's as if they were scared. And so they've received this freedom, but they choose to remain because what's outside of the cage is uncertain, right? You don't know what's out there, man. In the cage, you've been living. It's been your natural habitat for a while. And so then I'm looking at the dialogue, and in most churches and most communities, the image that we would be portrayed of Jesus is, well, why don't you get out of the cage, right? Because people love to paint an angry Jesus. But Jesus doesn't do that. He gives them a second, and then he walks up to the cage, and he begins to dialogue with them. And he goes, hey, listen, I, I know you're afraid. Oh, gosh. I know you're scared, but I promise I'll protect you. I promise you'll be safe. It's okay. And as I, as I take inventory, right, you do life with people, you realize that there's lots of people in lots of different cages. Some people live in the cage of religion. What does that mean, man? That means lots of people know of Jesus, but they don't know him. Lots of people live in the cage of fear, the cage of depression, the cage of anxiety. And listen, if you're there, I'm sorry. But I have to tell you today that there is a person called Jesus, and he has opened the door for you to walk and receive freedom. He's not angry at you. He's not mad at you. He's in a good mood. And he wants you to live in fullness. It's what it says, man, in John. I want to read it to you. If you want to go to John 10, it says this. The thief comes except to steal, kill, and destroy. This is speaking of the devil. But he says, I, I being Jesus, I have come that they may have life. Say life. life. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. The Passion Translation reads beautifully, man. It says, a thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. 
But I, again Jesus, have come to give you everything in abundance. Watch this. More than you expect. Life in its fullness until you overflow. And I want to explore what it looks like. I want to ask myself the question, what would it look like to live in the place where I am constantly overflowing with Jesus? When I first, I'm a naturally passionate person, if you can't tell by all my yelling and my screaming, it's who I am. And when I first got saved, people would look at me and they would say, well, bro, you better calm down, man, because when everybody gets saved, they're always excited. But then there comes a moment, right? Because, like, listen, the world is full of, like, spiritual abortionists. They love to kill your dream. They don't know what to do when they see somebody excited because they don't know. Listen, they come to church and they expect the pastor to fan their flame. It is not the pastor's job to keep your flame going. The Lord has given you his spirit, and he has given you the ability to walk in freedom. And so at some point, if you're walking in life and your fire feels low, I would ask you, how is your intimacy? How? It's like when, when, I, when, man, when we go to a counselor, we've been to a counselor before, and they'll ask you, well, how's your love life? Right? What do they mean? How are you connected? How's your connection going? And so they come to church and people hop from church to church because they feel the spirit move for, you know, a couple of weeks and then they feel like the spirit just left. The spirit didn't leave. It's that the Lord is beckoning you. He's calling you into something deeper. And the moment you choose to give yourself to fear, the moment you choose to live in complacency, the spirit will lift and look for somebody who is hungry. Huh. He's looking. How do I know? Jesus said, when I come back, will I find faith? He's searching. Faith looks like something. It's more than speech. It's more than talk. It's active. It's alive. And so what does it look like to live life in abundance? To live life where it's overflowing, where you don't believe that you have to live in this garbage, where you're in the ups and the downs. David said it like this, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I know what? You are with me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He does it. That means my haters can watch me, but they can't touch me. That no matter what the devil throws at me, I, he is with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. This is what he's talking about. Living life in fullness, where even though you go through difficulties, you understand that they serve a purpose, and that purpose is to see how good he really is. To see that he is really as good as they say. It's the only purpose of our church. If you leave this service and you leave thinking, man, the worship was awesome, the band, or Gia was awesome, I have failed you. It's not the point. The point is that you walk through those doors and on your drive home you think, my goodness, he really is better than I thought. We do not lead people to an encounter with man except Jesus. He is the one who transforms lives. He is the bread of life. He is the one who transformed hearts. And so, Gio, well, why don't you preach on sin? Because, listen, preaching to sin does not change hearts. We've talked about this, bro. It's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. And I'm going to nail that until you get it. That you understand that it is his goodness that leads people. It is his goodness that attracts people to him. And so you say, well, when will heart change happen if you don't talk to them? Well, Isaiah had a vision in Isaiah 6, and he saw the Lord. 
the year King Uzziah died, he, he went into this vision and he saw the Lord. And the moment he saw the Lord face to face, what happened? The Lord did not go, you are a sinner. God did not say, you are messed up. The moment he, the moment he came into the presence of God, he had a realization, I'm not what I should be. And then watch his response, because this could have been the moment for God to go, yeah, bro, you are jacked up. You got lots of issues, but he didn't. In the vision, an angel came and picked up a stone, and he cleansed him. Not only did he cleanse him, but he gave him a mission. I have called you to bring freedom to the captive. He gave him mission. And this is the job of the church, that no matter where they walk through, no matter where they come from, that the, the awareness of his goodness causes them to change on the inside. That they would realize, I'm alive for more than this. I'm alive for more than, than just surviving from week to week to week. People who are in sin do not need to be, they don't need to be educated on their sin. They feel the separation. That's why they say things like, there's just a void in my heart and I don't know how to fill it. Because they realize that there's something that's missing. The problem is they're not interested in your Jesus. Why? Because we present sometimes a Jesus that loves to judge people, loves to condemn people, loves to guilt and shame. But Jesus says, I judge no man. Hashtag boo. <laughs> boo says, Jesus said, I judge no man, period. He gets wide-eyed on you. But it's the truth. Because when was the last time you walked up to somebody and said, bro, you are messed up. And they say, yeah, lead me, lead me, you lead me. You tell me when was the last time that happened. Because it is his goodness and it is his favor. And it is this goodness and this favor that leads you to change. It attracts the anointing. When you realize that it is his heart linked with your heart that causes you to walk in divine destiny. That causes things inside of you to arise. We've had meetings all this week where people say, I just want to serve. I just want to get plugged into what God is doing. Because there's something on the inside of them that says, I cannot sit. Because God is moving and I want to be a part of what he is doing. It's as if you become alive to everything that you, that you once were not passionate about. That you once did not understand. Because people say, well, how do I become more anointed? You don't, listen, you don't seek anointing to become anointed. The only way to become anointed is to be touched by the anointed one. It's for your life to collide with his life and for you, to, listen, for him to leak on you. Well, give me 12 steps. There are not 12 steps. There is one step. I'm trying. It's only one step. And he leads you. It's why we say, listen, when you come to this church, you must come with a sense of expectancy. There must be something in your heart that says, when I walk through those doors today, I will leave with my heart changed. Why do some people come to church and some get wrecked and some don't? God doesn't play favorites. He wants to touch every heart. It's people's ability to come into the house and to say, today, I posture my heart, I expect. It's a change in mentality. For you to believe that, listen, if God is good that he, then, and he will lead me to all truth, that has to look like something. The moment me and my wife, we were believing to have, to have a child, I remember we were going through the process and all of a sudden we, we found out we were pregnant. She was pregnant. We were pregnant. I didn't, I wasn't pregnant. Clarify that. But listen, 
the moment that we found out, you know, the moment there were two lines on that stick, everything changed. I don't become a dad the moment Judah got here. The moment I had the realization this kid is on the way, I began to prepare myself because there was an expectancy for what was coming. I realized that I cannot wait till the moment where I step into fulfillment to prepare myself. I got to build him a room and I got to get him clothes because that preparation, that expectancy. In the natural, in the natural, right, when Destiny became pregnant, nine months went by and that baby came. It was going to come no matter what. But in the spiritual, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't. God can deposit a seed in your heart. And you can receive that seed and you can applaud it. But if there's not a, sect of, a, a sense of expectancy in your life, if you don't do something with what has been given to you, that seed will remain dormant. I'm telling you the truth. It's not nine months and it's going to come to pass. Why? Because God is a good steward. He's looking for seed to fall on fertile ground. You don't believe it? Read the parable. How he's throwing seed, and there's four different scenarios, but the only one that produced fruit was the seed where, where the, the dirt, the soil was fertile. It was ready to receive the seed. It's speaking about your heart. It's speaking about what's going on on the inside of you. Will you position yourself? Will you allow your God to come into the difficult situations of your life and allow him to rearrange and move things around? Are you alive? expectancy attracts. We talk about the favor of God, and we see people in their lives that the, God, the favor of God is operating in, in, in a different dynamic than other people. I believe it has everything to do with they, they do things that specifically attract the favor of the Lord. I'm telling you, the favor of the Lord is more than preferential treatment. It's more than a good parking space. The favor of God in the Greek is translated to charis. Which, which, which means grace. And we should all know by now that grace is more than preferential treatment. It is the grace of God that allows us to walk in the supernatural life that God has called us to live in. Grace raises the standard. In places where I come, when I first became, came to the church, I'm like, can I grow it? And God's like, no, you can't. He was trying to show me, like, listen, unless you remain dependent on me, you can do nothing. <laughs> you can do nothing nothing. There may be a measure of life, but the Bible says this, there's a path that seems right to man, but that path leads to destruction. So you take that man and you begin to expect God to breathe, and you yoke yourself with him, and you attach yourself. That's what it looks like to abide. To expect the Lord to come through in situations where, listen, we talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We talked about David last week, how their expectancy for the Lord to show up, what they had learned in the secret place, propelled them to stand in front of a giant and to believe for the impossible. But it all comes from a place of expectancy, where you come in and you believe, God, you really are good, and you choose to stand in that goodness. You choose to take steps towards impossibilities, and you allow him. Ah, oh, so many prophetic words we've gotten about God stirring the waters of our church. Us being the pool of Bethesda. But the crazy thing about the pool of Bethesda was the people who got healed, the people who got touched were the people who went into the pool. 
And we got so many people living off of other, other people's experiences. Did you see so-and-so? They got in the pool and it was awesome. God touched them. When God is calling us all in, he's calling us all in to experience and to be in this place where the work of God is in us, where we realize that we don't have to live in fear because there is not fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. So if I'm feeling fear, i got to reciprocate that and find that I'm not sitting in perfect love. I've got to go back to true love, and I've got to go back to the place where Jesus is my only pursuit. That's where we started. I expect the Lord to come, and that expectancy does something in your life. Here's so many people, right? So many people, well, I'm going through a hard time, and they'll say things like, oh, man, that's just the story of my life. What a sad story. Bro, that's the story of your life. Get a new author. Change the game. Change the rhetoric. Realize that there's power in your words. Realize that your words are, are literally creating life or death. You say, well, I just got to talk about it. No, you don't. No, you don't. What you need is to get fresh revelation, fresh bread from God, and to begin to prophesy and to speak life. You create and you shift atmospheres with your words. But it all starts with expectancy, believing that he can, believing that he will. We talked about the people of Israel. I'm just talking about expectancy. Interesting, right? They walked up to, to, the, to the promise and they saw the giants. And as I was reading this story this week, the Lord spoke to me and said, you know what, Gio, it wasn't, it wasn't the giants that stopped them from entering into the promise. Because you read that and it's easy to be like, well, the giants, it wasn't the giants. Moses sent spies. And the truth was, it was the ten small voices in the camp that stopped them from walking into the promise. And there's too many people that are looking at situations and the, real, the reality is it's not the giant. Whatever it may be, it's not the lack of finances. It's not the addiction. It's not the depression. It's not the anxiety. It's the small voices in your head. It's the small voices in your head that are telling you, can you really? Is God really that good? But what if it doesn't work out? And so we find ourselves circling mountains we were never supposed to circle. Worshiping idols we were never supposed to worship. This is the progression of what happened. They gave in to the ten small voices, and all of a sudden they found themselves going in the opposite direction of where they were supposed to go. So we begin to expect, and we begin to get into our word, and we begin to realize that, listen, God is calling us to expect and to be people of faith. And as we have faith, we begin to recognize, we open our eyes to opportunity that is around us. We realize that we have been planted. The Bible says you are a, a, a light on a hill. The context, the imagery you have to understand is that you are a light surrounded by darkness. In the middle of all the darkness that is going on in the world, watch the news for five minutes and you'll start to feel depressed. You are called to plant yourself in that place and shine. Not so that you can be seen but so that you can reflect the sun. So that when people look at you, they say, I see him. I see. It's, it's possible. It's possible to live in such a place where people see Jesus through you. 
where they understand that the mercy, the glory, the joy. The Bible says that Jesus, Jesus, he went towards Calvary for what? The joy set before him. What was the joy set before him? It was you. The joy set before him that propelled him into one of the most devastating situations of his life was you living in freedom. You living in fullness. You living in identity. And you realizing how powerful you really are. That Christianity is not about superstar pastors and evangelists and prophets and apostles. We believe in that. But they equip the body and the saints to do the work of the ministry. It means that we are all working together towards a common goal. That common goal is that we bankrupt hell and we populate heaven. That is the goal. We expect and we recognize that God walks with us. And that we are more powerful than we think. You see this in the life of Gideon, who was in a wine press, who was hiding. And the dialogue between him and God is God comes and he says, hey, mighty warrior. And what is Gideon's response? Mighty warrior. I'm the least of my clan. Out of all the clans, we are the least. And out of the least of the clan, I am the least. Yet God saw something in him he could not see in himself. You say, well, maybe he had faith. No, he didn't. When you read the story, he literally felt as if God had left them. Where is the God of the miracles that my ancestors spoke of? That's how he felt. But he, re he had to recognize <laughs> that his season was about to change. There is a time and a season for everything. And you've got to learn to respond. You've got to recognize what season it is to respond the right way. I'm telling you. It's gospel. Moses is in the desert, and for him to get water, he says what? Strike the rock. It was the season for rock striking. They find themselves in a bind. I don't know what happened. Maybe he just wasn't attached in the right way. Or listening, but he thought, I'll just take things into my own hands. And instead of speaking to the rock, which is what it was the, now the season for speaking. But he striked it. And that was the very thing that propelled them to not enter into the promise. This is the Bible. There is a time and a season for everything under heaven. And so we expect God to move, but we also give ourselves to obedience. And we realize and we recognize what season we are in. Is it, a time for, is it a time for warfare or is it a time for rest? Is it a time for binding? Is it a time for loosing? Is it a time for blessing? Or, you understand what I'm saying? Yes. We expect God to move. We recognize that he is among us and that there is opportunity. And we give ourselves to obedience. We respond to the call. We respond to the fact that Jesus is in our midst. And there has to be a desperation in us. This, listen, Christianity is not passive. Don't buy into the lie. It's not passive. Part of the problem in this culture is we don't understand. We say things like, listen, you have to hunger for the Lord. And we don't understand what that looks like. Why? Because we live, in a, we live in a culture where we're, every half a mile there's food. And most of us have the ability to buy food. And so hunger is not a matter of life or death. It's an inconvenience. How would I be hungry? <laughs> you go to other parts of the world where we've been and we've lived, and you say hunger for the Lord, hunger equals desperation. 
It means if I don't get something, some kind of nutrition in my life soon, I will die. This is the kind of relationship that God wants us to have. When we realize if I don't abide in his presence, if I don't hear his words, if I don't live in community, because you're called to live in community, I will die. And that desperation, I promise you, this obedience, it will lead you into new freedom. It will bring about breakthrough. So many people sitting, waiting for breakthrough to fall on their laps. What is that? Breakthrough comes to those who are pursuing, to those who are hungry, to those who believe that there is more, and I'm not going to settle for anything less than the more. You want milk, bro? Go to another church. Not interested in it. Lots of churches. I love them and I pray for them. I love them and I, listen, I'm not trying to be ugly. But we're not called to full auditoriums. We are called to build an army. To equip. To empower. To respond. And to draw the line and say, this is the line of complacency and we will not cross this line. I will burn at full capacity 100% because I know that it is the Holy Spirit working through me that enables me. On my own strength, yes, I can. But with him in the vine, attached to him, I can do all things. If you read your Bible and it says, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me, and you disassociate yourself, it's because you're not living in Christ. There comes a point where you read this. Oh, I was sitting in this room yesterday praying. I was laughing, and it was a very short notice, but I told Destiny, I said, you know, we've been in church for a long time now, long time. You put on Facebook or you announce, hey, man, come to church. We're doing an impartation service. They'll drive from Miami. Impartation. You tell, hey, we're doing a prayer meeting. You're going to seek the Lord. It's like. Because we live in a society that doesn't want to pay the price. Let me get in the context or in a room with a man who's paid the price and maybe he can lay hands on me and what's on him will jump in me. Listen, you don't have, you don't have, oh gosh. You don't have the character to sustain what's inside of that man. You don't have the capacity to carry that weight. That's not being ugly. I'm just telling you what, what some person has suffered 20 years for and believed God for is not going to jump on you in 30 seconds. You don't need impartation. Everything you need is inside of you. The moment you said yes to Jesus, it was deposited. The problem is the only reason, you, the only way to come into realization is to hide yourself in him. It's the only way. And so I'll get alone. Like yesterday, there was a portion of scripture that so, it so touched my heart as I was praying. And I put this, I'm not joking you, I put it on my chest and I asked the Lord, God, write this on my heart, man. Like, I gotta have it. I can't. I don't want to be moved. If I'm more moved by a basketball game than I am in the presence of God, there's something wrong with me. Oh. If I'm more moved by by when garbage and bullcrap comes my way, which it does on a weekly basis, there's something wrong with me. 
then I know I got to get back into that place and I've got to believe and I've got to ask him, Lord, I need a fresh encounter. I'm not going to sit in a room, man. Listen, I'm going to end with this. I'm going to stop screaming at you. I hope you know that I love you. I want you to go to Mark. Mark 10. Oh. Talking about responding to the Lord. Chapter 40, uh, sorry, chapter 10, verse 46. What does it look like to be desperate and to respond to the Lord? Then they reached Jericho, they being Jesus and the disciples. And as Jesus and his disciples left the town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him. But he shouted louder. Ah, oh, the hunger. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped. And he said, tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. They said, cheer up. Come on, he's calling you. Bartimaeus threw off his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Come on, man. It's the question he's asking you today. What do you want me to do for you? My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, go, for your faith has healed you. And instantly the blind man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. I was reading this yesterday, and it so touched my heart. Because you can see the picture, right? By this point in Jesus' ministry, he had already healed many, many people. Everywhere Jesus went, the crowds pushed on him because they wanted to touch him. Because there was something about him. I think it was even beyond the healings. It was beyond the miracles. There was something about him that attracted people and wanted to give everything to him. It's why the disciples dropped their nets. It's why they left their jobs. So there's a bunch of people and he arrives. And there's people pushing and somebody hears. Jesus is in our midst. This was a man who was a beggar. He had sat on the side of the road. This was his identity. All of a sudden he hears Jesus is in our midst and he begins to scream out, Jesus! Uh, Jesus! And the people around him start to shush him because we do that, right? Listen, it doesn't take all that. Don't get loud, don't get crazy, but when you've lived in a certain condition for so long, you will do anything to receive freedom. There will come a point in your life where you will get sick of being sick and tired of sitting in complacency. You'll see people burn and you'll get tired of hearing other people's stories and you will go get your own. I lived four years on pulpits talking about other people's stories and finally I got sick of it. So I'm going to go get my own stories. People, you're crazy. We sold everything. We sold everything and bought a plane ticket and left. Now we're in Lithia and it's no different. We're creating a story. 
what's the dialogue? We started with 10. We lived in the room where all your kids are being taken care of. But we believe the Lord for more. In the middle of this community where people drive down and they would tell us, we used to drive down that church, there was four cars and it was dead. We had a lady tell us this week, best thing I've heard all week. I would drive down and I would say, Lord, bless it or burn it to the ground. I'm down with it. We've got to get like, Lord, do something. But here we are, Lord, Jesus, will you touch us? It doesn't take all that. You don't have to worship that long. I don't want to hear the nonsense. I'm desperate. I'll look crazy. I'll give everything. I don't care. Listen, I live for an audience of one. What you think of me is irrelevant. I hope you like me. I want to be likable. But what you think of my faith expression is irrelevant. Because when you live for an audience of one, listen, when I end my life, I'm not going to stand in front of you and give you an account. It's not going to happen, bro. You're, my impressions of you will not matter. The only thing that will matter is what did you do with what was given to you? Everybody's been given something, and all the Lord is saying is, do something with what was given to you. So here's the blind man, and he cries out, Jesus. Couldn't see him. Didn't know where he was. But the cry of his heart was, I got to have you. Ah. Uh, Jesus hears. He went past the voices of the haters. And once he hears that Jesus wanted him, what did he do? He threw off his cloak, which is so powerful. Oh, Because in that day, if you wanted to be a beggar, you had to have a cloak. The cloak identified you as the beggar. And so the moment that he heard Jesus was in his midst, it was a passionate, Jesus, will you? Uh, it was like, it was a question. It wasn't even faith. Jesus said, your faith has made you whole, but all it was was crying out. And in that moment, the people say, cheer up. He, he, he wants you, and he knew this is my moment. How do you know he knew that? I am no longer a bad, that's what he was saying. Doesn't matter what you think, what you think. In this moment, I am no longer a beggar. I'm throwing off the old identity. I am stepping into the new. This is what the Lord is calling you to. Throw off the old rags, bro. Throw off the insecurity. Throw off the weight. And choose to step in. Let something in your soul cry out, Jesus! That's all you need. She's excited about it. <laughs> That's all you need. So here's what I want to do. I want you to stand up to your feet. 